his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Your fever is high and the pressure to log in at work is too. But when you finally decide to take care of you, there's Instacart. Just because that one perfect coworker of yours is attending all meetings, camera on while she's sneezing, coughing, and aching, doesn't mean you have to do the same. Take it from us. Trying to stay on top of things will only get you further behind. Instead, get everything from tissues and teas to cough suppressants and comforting soups delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. If anyone needs anything, they can just redirect their questions to that one perfect coworker. Worker of yours. Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in-depth look at today's issues. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Face Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080, 96.5 TIC, and Light 100.5 WRCH. My name is Morgan Cunningham, and I'm joined with Kevin Elak. He is the Director of Health for the City of Middletown. And today we're going to be talking about and just trying to get a broad update in general on opioids and overdoses, how they're impacting Middletown, um, how Middletown compares to the state of Connecticut, and what Middletown is doing to try to combat the crisis a little bit. Kevin, welcome to the program. Thanks for coming on. Yes, thanks for having me. Happy to have you on today, Kevin. And I'm wondering if we could start with just a broad update on Middletown's opioid statistics, and we'll go from there. Sure. Uh, so, of, of course, we know this is a this is a national crisis, the opioid uh, epidemic, and uh, you know Connecticut is not immune to it. Uh, we we have our um, we have our problems here and in Middletown as well, uh, as with uh, many many communities in Connecticut. Uh, so we uh, started to kind of recognize this kind of right before the pandemic that we need to act upon this. Uh, so just to give you some, you know, uh, the state of where we are right now, uh, you know, Connecticut just released their data for 2022 for overdose deaths, which seemed to decrease a little bit from 2021, which is, uh, of course, which is promising news. But, you know, us in the uh, uh, in public health and, and providers are taking that data cautiously and, you know, any death is is a uh, you know unfortunate incident. So we know that there's still much work to do in the community. And if we're seeing decreases, is that indicative of future trends? You guys are watching this cautiously, so there's obviously some level of concern that maybe it will go back up. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, we're concerned that it's going to rise again. Uh, you know, it could be just um, you know I would like to be optimistic and say that the efforts that are are happening out there right now are making a difference in lowering those uh, deaths uh, in particular. Uh, things like, uh, you know, harm reduction activity of, you know, the life-saving um, uh, medicine like uh, naloxone that can be administered to people to reverse the effects of an overdose uh, is saving life. You know, it's been proven that it's saving lives out there. So I would I would like to think that that's making a dent in it, um, but again we're still uh, <clears throat> we're still going to be cautious, and we know we have to 
continue to move forward with taking an aggressive action to to uh, combat this, uh, as long as there's still the uh, the dangerous opioids out there in the community. Does the city of Middletown and the health department ever compare local data to, say, the state of Connecticut's data when it comes to the opioid epidemic and crisis? Uh, yeah, the, the state health department recently released data that uh, that does compare municipalities, um, looking at you know the uh, the rate of deaths per uh, hundred thousand population, um, and that really shows you know what municipalities are impacted more than others. And Middletown, uh, you know, there is an elevated risk of overdoses and deaths in Middletown compared to some other towns. Um, you know, it doesn't always, it, of course, our, our cities throughout the state uh, are more impacted, but it doesn't always follow that line. It could be even, um, you know, smaller towns or um, rural towns can still be affected as well. When we talk about the opioid epidemic, and when I ask this question, I'm thinking just about Connecticut, not any other state in the nation or the whole nation as a whole or even worldwide, but does one city make much of a dent in one broader area? So for instance, would Middletown make much of a dent in Connecticut's research, Connecticut's data, Connecticut's efforts? It could. I mean, we, you know, there's there's a lot of uh, task force and coalitions in Connecticut, and we're all kind of taking the <clears throat> same approach and, and learning from each other. So we can, you know, take things that have proved to be uh, successful in combating uh, overdoses and applying that to our own community. So absolutely, we're constantly learning from each other to see what works and what doesn't work. Does Middletown set goals that are going to benefit Middletown, you know, within the parameters of the city itself? Or do you guys work with the state of Connecticut to try to reach some kind of broader goal that benefits, obviously, Middletown and Middletown's residents, but makes a difference at the statewide level? Or do you find that it's more effective to just focus on the city itself? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we we have to target our focus to be more effective, I think. Uh, so we, you know, our our task force here is, of course, focused on helping people in our community. But of course, um, you know, you know, not everyone uh, in our area is a resident here. They might be visiting, so it does, in a sense, um, can impact others. And of course, uh, you know, the state, uh, several state agencies are um, are very supportive. Of providing uh, us with the tools that we need. Uh, for instance, the Department of Public Health uh, provides us the data that we can uh, use to make informed decisions. Um, just for instance, there's a uh, <clears throat> there's a program that we use called ODMAP, and it uh, contains uh, real-time data of when overdoses are occurring in uh, our state. So. Uh, and that data is reported by the first responders uh, to the uh, Poison Control and Office of Chief Medical Examiner. So we know almost instantaneously when an overdose occurs in our town, and we can then uh, use that data to track um, trends or even uh, if there's a uh, spike of overdoses occurring in our community, 
I can alert our community partners in town, like our, uh, of course, our fire and police departments and our uh, treatment providers, harm reduction specialists, to say, hey, there's, you know, something's going on out there causing a spike, whether it's a new batch of uh, something out in the community that uh, our residents, uh, you know, are affected by, or and, and then usually in that case, our police department will step up their uh, efforts to find out what's circulating in the community. Kevin Elak is our guest this morning on Face Connecticut, Director of Health for the City of Middletown. Happy to have him on talking about the broader issue of um, Middletown's combating of the opioid crisis. And you mentioned just a moment ago, first responders. Could you talk a little bit, Kevin, about the collaboration that your department, as the health department for the city of Middletown, what kind of collaboration do you have with first responders? What kind of training is made available to them? Because they're the ones that are oftentimes dealing with the overdoses um, for the very first time for somebody before they get to any more treatment. Yeah, uh, they are they're play a big role, of course, in addressing this. The, uh, as you mentioned, they're the they're the boots on the ground, the ones that are responding to an incident of an, of an overdose. So we have, uh, of course, we have three uh, fire departments in Middletown. Uh, all of the firefighters are trained as uh, emergency medical technicians. Uh, they've all been trained um, internally to know how to respond to an overdose. Um, and, of course, they, uh, they carry uh, naloxone with them. Uh, if there is an overdose, so uh, and we're working, you know, we work very closely uh, in the health department with our first responders, uh, and of course, we also have um, uh, an ambulance company with paramedics who also do the same as well. So we work very closely, and we've uh, improved our lines of communications. A lot of times, I'll get a text message from one of our fire chiefs, letting me know that they are responding to an overdose. And um, we hope to continue that uh, relationship to actually include uh, what we call recovery coaches uh, to uh, respond to a scene and actually be able to provide support not only to the uh, person overdosing, uh, but to their possibly friends and family uh, that um, can assist the person as they recover from the overdose and are discharged from the hospital. Uh, offering services as far as what you know, you know what's available in the area for treatment and and follow up services. So that's really a crucial element as well. Kevin, I was reading some remarks that you made not too long ago on the opioid crisis and how it pertains to Middletown. And one thing that stood out to me was you said that people who are basically addicts or people who are overdose victims and they ended up recovering, they don't want to be. They don't want to be that person. They don't want to be addicted. They don't want to go through an overdose. They don't want to have to recover from it. You know, they, they don't want the issue at all is basically what you're saying. And so what do you hear from people who are addicted to opioids or people who are overdose victims themselves? I've talked to, again, our first responders or even the boots on the ground like our um, harm reduction specialists who deal uh, on a regular basis with uh, people uh, who are affected by the uh, epidemic. And their conversations with those people is that, uh, you know, like I'd mentioned, they, they don't want to be in this place in their lives. Um, they didn't ask for this. I uh, just, you know, heard someone telling me just last week um, that they had it, uh, observed 
you know, somebody who was experiencing an overdose. And their response was, well, this, you know, unfortunately, this person uh, chose this. Uh, so that kind of, and of course, that gave me an, a teaching moment, an opportunity to uh, to tell this person that uh, that's most likely not true, that um, people can become uh, addicted to opioids very easily, even uh, many times what happens is that people were prescribed uh, a painkiller uh, for having surgery or a back injury or something like that. And uh, they most often, if they're overprescribed these medications, they can easily become dependent on these drugs. And when their provider stops uh, prescribing these to them, they'll often go to the street and, and purchase these things. Uh, so that's uh, you know, that's certainly something that people didn't have in mind to become addicted to these things. So that's really one of the uh, stigmas out there that people um, choose this life. And again, it's it's absolutely, in most cases, not true. Kevin, what can you say about prevention through community outreach? Because it all starts with education and they're just one sector that you have reached out to within the city of Middletown or your team, the Department of Health for Middletown, that is, has reached out to schools. They've reached out to law enforcement, faith-based organizations, health advocates. And so could we start with the education component there? How are we educating more and more people about the dangers of the drugs and overdoses, too? With our opioid task force here in town, we created four separate uh, work groups. So with the... Um, with our community partners that are part of this task force. And we have about 100 people that are, are, are part of it. Uh, we created these four work groups based on uh, uh, polling the, our uh, people on the task force, uh, what, what are the greatest needs um, in our community? And we broke it up into four different work groups, uh, one being access to treatment, two being uh, education and prevention, three, uh, harm reduction, and, and four is uh, resource awareness. So that education work group um, is actively working on creating uh, uh, material to target different populations. And of course, we, we know we need uh, one type of curriculum for our, for our youth, and then another type of curriculum, again, for our, our adults. So that's what we're really trying to work on right now is getting those messages and then getting into our, uh, our school systems and getting the message out there. Again, adults is something, again, like uh, uh, addressing stigma is, an, is one of the areas that we're working on. Um, and then for our youth, uh, you know, one of, of course, the message out there is, uh, you know, hey, there's, uh, you know, there's, there's drugs out there that, look exactly like a, um, a prescribed medication, and, but they're, act, or they're actually illicit. And that's often what's happening right now is that people are buying pills on the street that look exactly like something like an oxycodone, but it's actually something that was manufactured um, who knows where and often contains fentanyl in there. So you think you might be getting something that might give you a pretty good high, but actually could kill you. So that's one of the other messages out there uh, that we're, we're trying to get out to the community. When you mentioned schools, it reminded me back when I was in school and, you know, we started in sixth grade on drug education and the program was 
pretty strong at the time, but I know that in the years since I've left school and have gone out into the world, but I know people that are still connected to my hometown area and whatnot, that those programs have actually been really built out in the years since I had them. And so can you talk about the development of school programs over, let's say, the last 10 years, how they have improved on drug education and what's being offered currently at Middletown schools? Honestly, that's one of the areas that we're working on right now. We we really don't know what's being offered in the schools right now. So we're, we're, we're working on making those inroads with the school administration to find out exactly what is uh, being taught and how can we enhance that. Um, of course, we know it's a very sensitive subject, right, that uh, we have to be careful. And, of course, um, you know, um, families can... Uh, possibly be upset if we if we don't uh, address this uh, carefully and with a sensitive nature. So that's one of our challenges that we're facing right now. You mentioned that obviously you have been in direct contact with and working with first responders and helping them be prepared to deal with, say, overdoses. What about law enforcement, the police department, for instance? How are they currently equipped to handle this? Yeah, so we've been able to uh, provide them with uh, naloxone. So through our uh, connections with uh, the Department of Health and uh, and Mental Services, uh, DEMAS, they're able to provide us with free doses of Narcan. So we're able to pass those on to our uh, our police departments and our fire departments. So um, they don't have to take that funding out of their own uh, budgets to pay for these harm reduction tools. Faith-based organizations, is there outreach with them? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, my the co-chair of the of our opioid task force is Reverend Robert Anderson, um, who, uh, who is the leader of the uh, Ministerial Health Fellowship. Uh, so uh, Reverend Anderson and I uh, met each other actually very early on in the pandemic, I would say uh, sometime in, in 2020. Um, and one of our the first tasks, of course, we wanted to, to do was uh, get vac- uh, the COVID vaccine out to the community, especially uh, um, people of color, uh, because we know there's been a long history of uh, distrust in, in public health um, with, with the black community. So um, it was very important to me to want to partner, want to partner with, uh, you know, uh, that community to get the vaccine out there and have a place where people could go and trust. So we, uh, we started the vaccination campaign and of course, early, uh, uh, 2021 and vaccinated, vaccinated almost 20,000 people, uh, to date since then. And, from there, we, we, you know, we knew we had uh, a special connection and uh, we could solve possibly a lot of different public health crises out there. So Reverend Anderson and I, uh, and also Catherine Reese, who's the uh, Director of Community Benefit with Middlesex Hospital, the three of us really started to put our thinking caps on and put our collective minds together and find out what are the things that are, that are impacting our community and of course, the uh, opioid crisis was one of the things on the top of our list. So we decided in uh, early uh, 2022 to assemble this task force, this opioid task force, 
and start to invite as many community partners as we could. Um, so we started holding monthly meetings back in February of 2022. And we are, um, I think, you know, it's been a year since we started, of course. And I think we've started to make some pretty good strides as, as far as getting ourselves organized and, and creating a, uh, a plan as far as how we can address. So, uh, so yes, the uh, relationship with the faith-based community is, is very important uh, to the success of this. I'm glad that you brought up Middlesex Health because obviously that's a great partnership for you guys to have. You're in Middletown and so are they. And so what are you guys looking to do with Middletown going forward? You know, uh, you've been in talks with them now for some time, obviously, and planning this for over a year. But what growth is there to have with the hospital because they're such a great resource? Yeah, they absolutely are. We're, we're fortunate to have uh, Middlesex Health in, in our community. Uh I think one of the areas of improvement that we need to make with the relationship with the hospital is um, having, uh, going back to, I mentioned earlier about the recovery coaches um, in our community. So again, through the Ministerial Health Fellowship, they actually have uh, these recovery coaches. And these are individuals who have lived experience with, uh, with addiction to um, substances. So they're the perfect people to um, uh, work with individuals who are experiencing the same. And having these individuals in the hospital, especially when people are being discharged from the uh, emergency department, uh, is really key to having a person having a navigator to help guide them along to uh, you know, so they know where, where can I get treatment? You know, where can I get support to get my, my help, get my life back on track? Um, it's not enough just to hand somebody a piece of paper saying, here's resources in town, but actually being something who's going to coach and, and guide these people and be there when they're ready to make a change. Last idea that I want to get to before we ramp up our Face Connecticut with Kevin Elak, Director of Health for the City of Middletown. What does the FDA approval of over-the-counter sales of Narcan mean for people who are addicted, people who overdose in Middletown, Kevin? Well, I think I think overall it's probably going to be a good thing. Um, it'll increase the availability uh, and without the barrier of having to have a prescription to uh, purchase it. Um, I have a, a few reservations about it, I think. I'm concerned. You know, of course, we don't know what the, the price is going to be yet, uh, what it is available over the counter. Um, I'm a little concerned that people, uh, especially if they're, uh, uh, you know, uninsured or don't have the means to be able to purchase it, that there may be a little bit of a barrier for them to get it. Um, but I remain optimistic that this will this will be a good thing. And And we, you know, we know that, we're still going to have those community partners in town to, uh, or in the, in the state as well, to be able to still provide free Narcan to people who, who need it as well. Any final thoughts, Kevin? You've been great this morning. I hope we can talk down the line again. But to wrap up our conversation for this morning, any final thoughts? Anything we didn't get to? Yeah, I mean, I just want to stress that it, collaboration is the key. And I think that's true for any any municipality that no no one agency or department should have to shoulder the burden of addressing this. Uh, you know, this is something that 
it's a public health crisis, and we need to work as a as a community together uh, to help each other because uh, we know that uh, this has to be approached through a multifaceted uh, angle um, through, again, treatment, harm reduction, uh, you know, law enforcement, um, all those different things for it to, for us to make a dent in this. Kevin, thank you so much for coming on this morning on Face Connecticut. I really appreciate your time. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Have a good one. Bye-bye. All right. Take care. Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Celebrate and save at Ashley's Anniversary Sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep Mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 